So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and uh, I'm sorry, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. The word of the Lord. We uh, continue our series of sermons on the book of Acts, where we're looking at various conversion stories. And I have two goals in this sermon series. One is for us to understand how conversion works, how one comes to Christ, and hopefully that encourages you. If you're not a Christian, it encourages you to go to Christ, so we have that goal in mind. Uh, also, if you are a Christian, it helps you understand how God works. But secondly, my other goal is to help us understand how to share the gospel better, how to, how to be more fruitful and faithful in evangelism and communicating the gospel to those who don't yet believe. And so today we come uh, to the story of Lydia, a hospitable businesswoman who gets converted at the teaching of Paul the Apostle. I'd like us to notice three things in this passage. There's an open door, an open heart, and an open home. An open door, an open heart, and an open home. I love when a passage just falls apart in three neat little parts, and it's just, for me it's just a blessing, hopefully for you as well. But you can't imagine how much time I spend on, on trying to get to the outline part of my sermon. So this was an easy week in that, in that re regard. Okay, so let's, let's look at the open door first. Before we consider what actually happens with Lydia and how she responds to the gospel, we, we have to ask ourselves, how does Paul and, and his teammates, how do they get in contact with Lydia to begin with? How do they get connected to her? How do they get to Philippi? Now, if you read a little bit earlier in the same chapter, in chapter 16 of Acts, you will find that this was not at all accidental and that God was actually leading Paul and his teammates very specifically, very clearly to Philippi. In fact, Paul wanted to go to another place. He wanted to speak the gospel in Asia, Asia Minor, and the Holy Spirit for it was forbidding him to do that. The Holy Spirit was actually leading him away from that. And then they attempted to go to Bithynia, and the Spirit did not allow them to go there either. So they ended up in Troas, and it's there that Paul had a vision, had this vision of the Macedonian man, somebody that comes to him in a dream and, and says, come to Macedonia, come and help us. And so Paul takes that vision as coming from the Lord, and the whole team goes to Macedonia and ends up in Philippi, which is a Roman colony and a prominent city in Macedonia. Now, once they get there, look at verse 12. It says that we remained in this city some days. We remained in this city some days. I was wondering why Luke, the author of Acts, tells us that. 
And I think the reason is, is because they're trying to figure out what to do. I think they get to Philippi. They're convinced God is calling them to Macedonia. They get there. They have the vision. They have the purpose to be there. They get there, and they don't know quite what to do. Because at every point in this story, God is redirecting them contrary to human strategy and contrary to human wisdom. Now, they get there, they have the vision, Macedonian man, and there's no man meeting them there. So Paul says, okay, well, what's our typical strategy? We'll go to the synagogue. No synagogue in Philippi. So they don't know what to do. And the Lord leads them. So finally, they hear of this Bible study, this prayer meeting by the riverside, a women's prayer meeting. And Paul goes, well, I guess we'll go there. The Lord leads them there, and this is where they meet Lydia. This is where the church at Philippi is born, and this is where the gospel actually penetrates Europe, the first European city that the gospel gets to. And the gospel comes through all these different doors that the Lord has opened for his servants. It's amazing. This isn't human strategy. This isn't Paul saying we need to get to Europe. We need to open that whole part of the world to the gospel. He wants to go somewhere else. He has a totally different plan. When he gets to Philippi, he's not sure what to do because there's no synagogue. You need 10 Jewish men to form a synagogue. There's no significant Jewish presence in Philippi. And so the Lord leads him to Lydia. Now the passage teaches us that it is the Spirit that opens doors to the gospel. It's not us. The Spirit does that. The Spirit of Jesus opens opportunities for the gospel to go forward. The Spirit gives opportunities for evangelism. Now, we may have some great ideas, and whenever, if you, if you ever took a class in evangelism or were trained in any evangelism technique, they're going to tell you lots of stuff that you should be doing. Not all of it is wrong. Much of that is very helpful. But the main piece of the training ought to be in sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Because if the Spirit opens doors, then our job is to listen to the Spirit and walk through those doors. Whatever it may seem to us, whether it may seem strange or, or normal to us, we are simply following the direction of the Holy Spirit. To be fruitful in evangelism, we need to learn to seek and accept the direction of the Holy Spirit, which is where prayer becomes central. Because that's when you listen. Prayer and Scripture, coming to God and asking questions and opening yourself up and allowing the Holy Spirit to lead. This is how evangelism works. We pray and we notice, we observe, we follow the Spirit's leading. Where is He calling you to be? Where has He placed you? I mean, it's such an obvious question to ask, and, and how very few of us ask that question. We recently moved. We moved houses. We moved to Spanish Lake. And I'm constantly asking myself, why are we here? What is God doing here? Why has he placed us on this street, in this house, among these neighbors? What is happening here? Because God is purposeful like that. It's not accidental. This wasn't our strategy. 
So what is God doing? We ought, to, we ought to be in that mode of asking questions and discerning and wondering what God is doing and being open to go wherever He may lead us. Who is He sending you to? Where has He placed you? Who are the people around you? Who has He placed in your life? Now, Paul wasn't trying to find a Gentile woman by the riverside to share the gospel with. But that's who God brought to him. And God did amazing things through Lydia, quite apart from Paul's wisdom. So who are the people in your life? Who is it that God, God placed in your life and he's going to use you to communicate the gospel, to encourage them, to help them grow? Are you aware of that? What doors is God opening in your life? Are you paying attention? Now, we can't discern any of that unless we live a life with a posture of listening, with a posture of discerning, of slowing down enough to pay attention to when God is speaking, knowing His voice and seeking His will. That's the only way it works. I wonder how many of us start our days by saying, Lord, what are you going to do today? I'm open to you. I have a plan. I have a schedule. But what are you going to do? Are you going to work through my schedule? Aside from it, are you going to completely disrupt my day? Who are you placing in my life today? How are you going to use me? It's a very different way to live. Now, when I think about the Spirit's role in evangelism and opening specific doors, I can't but think of my own conversion. Now, of course, we heard Melanie's conversion story, and any conversion story actually has the same elements in it. Every conversion story is going to have an open door and an open heart and an open home. So my story is no, no different. The circumstances change, but it's the same God who opens doors and places people in the right circumstances with the right, the right uh, situations to speak in the right way. I was about to graduate high school, and my mother was really worried about me. Now, of course, I had the normal kind of age-appropriate troubles of a teenager, but my mom knew there was, there was a hopelessness in my heart, and there was a directionless feel to my life that really, really worried her. And so my mom, trying to help her kid, overheard that there's a young American couple that moved in, just across the hall from my apartment. And so my mom pretended to take out the trash when she heard them come in. It's all carefully planned. I remember her running around the apartment trying to find stuff to put, to put in, a, in her trash bucket to make it look believable. So she came out, met them, Eric and Barbara Hansen. She met them because she was thinking maybe this young couple... They look nice. They seem like they have their lives together. Maybe they can have a good influence on my son. And from that conversation, a friendship began. They welcomed me into their home, into their lives. They began to share the gospel with me. They mentored me. They helped me work through stuff. And because of all of that, which could easily be interpreted as accidental, right? But of course it wasn't. It was all God's doing. The Spirit of Jesus was at work, and a hopeless, directionless, fatherless kid met his Savior because God opened doors, 
because God placed them there. You see, it wasn't accidental that they moved in across the hall from my apartment. And your conversion story may be different, but God has placed certain people in your life. God has arranged your circumstances in a certain way to bring you to Christ, for you to hear the gospel. It's the same God that does that for every life, opening doors for the gospel to come into your heart. That's an open door here. We see God's intentional pursuit of Lydia and sending Paul and his teammates to her. But there's also an open heart. It's not enough to open a door for the gospel to be proclaimed. A heart needs to be opened as well. Look at verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. The missionaries come to this women's prayer meeting by the riverside, and the Lord opens the heart of Lydia to believe their message. It's very clearly not because of Paul's rhetoric. It's not because of his strategy. It's because the Lord opened her heart to believe. Now, this Lydia became the first convert in Europe and the leader, one of the leaders in the church at Philippi. She was from Thyatira, which is ironically a city in Asia Minor where Paul was trying to get to. So the Lord brings Lydia back to his life in that way and still has an effect on, on Asia. This town, Thyatira, was known for producing a rare purple dye that was very expensive and in high demand among the elite Roman politicians. Not everybody could afford that kind of purple cloth, that kind of purple clothing. Only important people. Only people that wanted to be seen wearing purple. And so she, this wealthy businesswoman, has a business interest in Philippi. She has a house there. She is, she is very influential, wealthy. She has a household. She has servants. She has a business company. And she's also a worshiper of God. She's a pagan, she's a Gentile, but she's a God-fearer, meaning that she's interested in the God of Israel, not enough to get totally converted, but she's, she's exploring, she's seeking, she's listening to the Hebrew Scriptures, she's learning the, the history of Israel, she's learning about this, this God who works among His people. And so this prayer meeting was likely a gathering of women, likely of Gentile women, who were reading and discussing the Hebrew Scriptures and praying and trying to figure out what this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is all about. So she was a religious person, a spiritual person, a seeker. She was looking in the right direction. She was in the right place, and yet her heart was still closed to the truth of the gospel. I love the way Scripture describes her conversion. It's the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. The Lord opened her heart. Paul was preaching the gospel about Jesus' death and resurrection, about the importance of faith and the primacy of grace. That's what he always talked about. And yet the Lord had to open her heart for her to pay attention to that, to understand, to embrace this message. Spurgeon said that the Lord is the heart's master as he is the heart's maker. So the Lord removed all resistance, all confusion, 
all objections from Lydia's heart, and she believed. Now, this is what the Lord does anytime anyone comes to Christ. This is not unusual. In fact, what we have in this passage is really a typical conversion. Circumstances are different, but the mechanics of conversion are the same. The Holy Spirit had to open her heart. And unless the Spirit opened her heart, she wouldn't have believed. She would continue to be religious, continue to be somewhat spiritual, but she wouldn't know Jesus and she wouldn't be reconciled to God. Our hearts are naturally resistant to God. Sin is not primarily wrong behavior. Sin is primarily wrong disposition. We are predisposed against God. In our sinful state, we are unwilling and unable to see God as He is or to respond to Him, to love Him, to to serve Him, to worship Him or to choose Him over ourselves. We can't do it and we don't want to do it. So anytime anybody is saved, anybody comes to Christ, it happens because the Holy Spirit changes their heart. And there's a different disposition that develops in that heart. Paul says in Ephesians 2 that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We're dead. Dead. A dead person cannot respond. A dead person cannot perceive Now, we're not talking about sick people or tired people or just confused people. We're talking about dead people, spiritually dead people who cannot understand the gospel. So many of the testimonies we hear at church, especially as we're doing more of them now during this season, is you hear stuff like, I knew the gospel. I was told that Jesus died and rose for me. I grew up in church, but it wasn't until there's a moment, right? There's a time when the Holy Spirit opens your heart. And then you say, well, now it makes sense. Now I'm paying attention. Now I believe. Well, what happened? What's the difference? The difference is that the Holy Spirit opened the heart, gave a new heart, in fact. That's the promise of the new covenant in uh, Ezekiel 36. God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. God takes the dead heart out and he puts a live heart in. And that live heart, this heart of flesh, this new heart is now able to feel, able to think, able to respond to the message of the gospel. And that is the only way that anybody is converted. Conversion is a response of a new heart to the gospel of grace. And any heart that embraces Jesus is a new heart, supernaturally given by the Holy Spirit. And so Lydia's heart, Lydia's new heart, opened heart, gladly receives the good news of salvation in Christ, and she is baptized along with all the other people in her household who also believe. And so the new heart of the seller of purple cloth is dyed in the blood of the Lamb. One of my favorite illustrations of an open heart to the gospel, how God works unexpectedly and and supernaturally changes somebody, comes from the conversion of William Haslam. William Haslam was a pastor in Cornwall in the mid-1800s. 
And while he was a pastor, he was not converted. He was busy working in his parish. He was building up his ministry. He actually had to build the physical church building and the manse, and it was a needy area, so he was doing a lot of stuff. But he didn't have a relationship with Christ. And he knew that. He knew that something was missing. And so one Sunday, as he was preaching a sermon in Matthew 22, verse 42, now he preached from Scripture every Sunday. In Matthew 22, 42, is a passage where the Pharisees are asked, what do you think about the Christ? What do you think about the Christ? And as Haslam was preaching, he had prepared a sermon. He studied the text. And now he's preaching a sermon. And as he's preaching, he becomes convicted that he is no better than the Pharisees. That he's lived his life pretending to know God without actually knowing him. Doing works of righteousness without actually trusting God for righteousness. So as he's preaching, God opens his heart. I mean, it's an amazing story, and he, he writes about it in his, in his biography. He, he says, as I was preaching, something happened. His heart was changed, and the people noticed. The people in the pews noticed that something was different about their pastor. And so one person stood up and shouted, the parson is converted. <laughs> Hallelujah, the parson is converted. Now the people in the pews are converted. The pastor is not converted. And so when he gets converted, the converted people know. And they pick up on the signs and they celebrate and they break out into songs and he leads them in the doxology to bring a little order to the worship service. He's still, still a pastor. He's still trying to, to, to bring a little bit of order in the worship service. But Haslam knew the Bible, preached the Bible, but didn't know Christ until the Lord opened his heart and he was converted by his own sermon. His conversion then sparks a revival in Cornwall. Many people come to Christ because of what God did in his heart. Opening the heart now opens many doors and people become believers. Has the Lord opened your heart to hear and believe the gospel of Jesus? I'm not asking you how much Bible you know. I'm not asking you how often you attend church. I'm not asking you how good of a person you are. I'm asking you if your heart has been opened supernaturally by the Holy Spirit to know Jesus and to embrace his message because that is the only hope you have. Well, that open door results in an open heart and finally results in an open home. Lydia's experience of the gospel results in radical hospitality. Verse 15. After she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, meaning Paul and his teammates, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, in other words, if you think I'm a real believer, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Lydia is so overwhelmed with gratitude and joy in the gospel. This is a real change in her. The spiritual seeker has found what she was looking for. And now she insists that the missionaries stay with her. That her home becomes the, the base of their operations. That her home becomes where, where the gospel dwells and through, through which the gospel now spreads in the city. Now we know that 
she not only welcomed Paul and his associates, she also welcomed all the believers in Philippi. If you read at the end of the chapter 16, this is after Paul's and Silas's experience in, in the prison. Once they're released, they go to Lydia's house to see all the Christians in the area because they know this is where they gather. So her house now becomes a meeting place for the church, this young new church in Philippi. Because Lydia's open heart produced an open life. She gave her whole life to the Lord to be used by him for his glory. If our hearts have been truly opened by the Lord, if conversion is real, we must ask ourselves, are our lives open as well? Is my calendar open to the Lord? Is my bank account open to the Lord? Is everything on the table? Or are there aspects of my life that I'm holding back from Jesus? That's part of what this passage teaches us. It tells us that when the Lord opens a door into your life and then he opens your heart to save you, then everything else is on the table. Everything in your life is for him now. So certainly your home. And this is where we learn particularly the importance of hospitality as such. Of course, we're not talking about hospitality in terms of entertaining people. My wife and I have watched a lot of home improvement and renovation kind of shows recently. And there's always the line, right? Whenever somebody's looking for the house, they always talk about entertaining, right? We need the space for entertaining. And what they mean is, is, is tastefully decorated parties, right? They mean people just hanging around and having conversations and chilling together, you know. But when Scripture talks about hospitality, this is a, this is a very different idea. Hospitality in Scripture is welcoming people for the sake of Christ, which means you don't just let them come into your living room and you offer them a drink. You let them come into your life. You let them come into your home and be there with you and share whatever is going on with them. Hospitality is one of the virtues of early Christians. Peter, for example, in 1 Peter 4.9, commands, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Hebrews 13 verse 2 says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Hospitality is one of the qualifications for eldership in the New Testament. Elders must be hospitable. Why such an emphasis on hospitality in the New Testament? Well, because hospitality is one of the most effective ways to introduce people to Jesus. It's true. Rosaria Butterfield uh, is a convert to Christianity, a convert from a, a postmodern college professorship and a LGBTQ activism, and she credits Christian hospitality, hospitality of a, of a Christian couple as one of the keys to her conversion. She actually was hostile to Christians. But over several years, that couple won her over by having her at her home, at their home, just by welcoming her, by being with her, by opening her home to her, their home to her. This is what she says about hospitality. She says, Hospitality 
is about meeting the stranger and welcoming that stranger to become a neighbor. And then knowing that neighbor well enough, if by God's power he allows for this, that neighbor becomes part of the family of God through repentance and belief. Hospitality is about opening up your heart and your home just as you are and being willing to invite Jesus into the conversation. Not to stop the conversation, but to deepen it. Hospitality is fundamentally an act of missional evangelism. I wonder if we have underestimated the importance of hospitality in our evangelism. Yes, we must go and share the gospel with other people. We must go to them. That's biblical. But we must also welcome them into our lives, into our home, into our church. We have to be thinking, how can we welcome people? How can we love people who are strangers to us so they can become neighbors, so then by God's grace they can become part of God's family? Now, I've mentioned that this whole business of open doors and open hearts and open homes is dependent on the message of the gospel. The door is open to the gospel. The heart is open to believe the gospel. The home is open to become the center of gospel work in Philippi. So what is the gospel? Let me be explicit and clear. The gospel is a message about God's open heart to sinners. God loves you. He loves you. His heart is open to you. And his open heart, this, this, this disposition towards you, this, this love towards you compels him to open a way for you to come back to him and to experience his forgiveness and his healing. Galatians 4, verse 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. God's providence. He opened the door. There was a time when it was time to open the door and for Jesus to come. And when Jesus came, he lived a perfect life in our place and he fulfilled all God's expectations on humanity. He died on the cross, not surprisingly in a posture of complete embrace of sinners, arms wide open to welcome us into his kingdom. He died in our place for our sins, to remove our guilt and our shame before God. And then when he rose again on the third day, he gave us a new life. And his empty tomb is an invitation into that eternal life with God forever. And anyone who believes Jesus and follows Jesus is now welcome in his home. We are adopted into his family, becoming part of his household. 1 John 3 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And then John says, And so we are. And so we are by God's grace because he opened the door in Christ. Christ is that open door into a relationship with God. And because he opens our hearts to embrace it and he brings us into his home. 
So are you a child of God? Do you know that God's heart is opened to you? Have you walked through the open door of Christ's death and resurrection?